Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Truth with Susie Ann. And this is your host, Susie Ann. Our topic for today is Feast of Unleavened Bread. Hebrew for that is Shag Hamatzat. This occurs in Abib 15 to 20. First. So that's Abib 15 to the 21st. Scripture verse where it's found is Leviticus 23 verses 6 to 14. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, like all the feasts, contains deep spiritual lessons for Kodeshims today. As an explanation for this feast, the Yashraelites were told, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever, whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Yasharel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat. That only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread, until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations, you shall eat unleavened bread. And that's according to Exodus 12, verses 15 to 20. From the New King James Version. Now, what is leaven? Any substance that produces or is designed to produce fermentation as in dough or liquids. Leavening or yeast has great power to effect change. Added to a bowl of ingredients, it can turn a hard lump of dough into a large airy mass ready for baking. The leavening which permeates the entire batch of dough is used in scripture as a symbol for error or sin. The Savior himself warned the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16, verse 6. The act of removing leavening agents from the household is a living parable. It requires much careful searching to make sure that nothing is made with leaven, nor with leavening power No baker's yeast, baking soda, baking powder, carbonated drinks remains in the house. Ingredients must be read. Careful attention to detail is required in getting all leavening and leavened products removed from the home. I should also add that in the Passover feast, it was required that it should be eaten with bitter herbs. However, based on the New Covenant, it was not noted as a requirement for the Adon's Supper. However, 
this should be a part of the cleansing process, since this is not our typical feast. In Deuteronomy 16 verses 3, this type of diet is referred to as the bread of affliction. I know most people don't like bitter herbs, but they are good for the overall health as well as getting rid of parasites within the body. If we're gonna clean, why not detox our bodies as well? Now here are a few good herbs that I can suggest. We have here Vidanga, also known as false black pepper. We have neem, nettle, clove, dandelion, ambrosioids, that's worm seed, cerise, turmeric, and aloe vera. This is where I think people got the whole spring cleaning concept from. And if it seems like a sincere act to you, you can also do a deep cleaning of your entire house. Uh, sometime before or maybe throughout the feast. While doing this, do some soul searching as well. This way after the feast, you'll feel clean inside and out. This act reveals the care all should take in the individual work of heart searching. Are there concealed areas of the inner heart, secret sins, which like leaven hidden in dough will permeate the entire heart and soul of the person? One secret sin cherished will corrupt the entire life. In Leviticus 23 verses 14, it refers to Yahushua's resurrection and his ascension to be glorified in John 20 verse 17. Yahushua, some say, died in the middle of the week, as proven in this verse from Daniel. But this verse speaks of a prophetic time frame that employs the day for a year rule and thus refers to a period of seven years, in the middle of which the Messiah would be killed. To force the interpretation of this verse into a literal seven-day time frame breaks the prophetic rule of the passage, and the entire meaning is lost. But that is not the only hole in this plot. For one thing, we know that high days refer to Shabbats that are no longer than you that are longer than usual due to another day or evening's event being tied to it. Hence, the meaning of the Greek word high is derived from. Then, then the people of Judah, or Yahuda, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the stake on the Shabbat. For that Shabbat was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. That's according to John 19, verses 31. That high day, as it turns out, stretched from Passover evening and night through Passover morning, all the way through to unleavened bread evening and morning, making for a full 36 hours before those who celebrated the feast would be able to do anything about the bodies on the stakes. But what about the famed quotes from all four good news books, which see people coming to the tomb on the supposed early morning of the first day of the following Wednesday staking. And yes, 
I believe that the day that Yahushua was staked indeed fell on the Gregorian Wednesday. Now, according to Matthew 28, verse 1, Mark 16, verses 1 to 2, Luke 24, verses 1, and John 20, verses 1, all recount the events of an early morning visit to the tomb. But there is something interesting in the original wording of all four verses that prove extremely revealing. While all these passages pretty much say the same thing, the clearest picture is painted in Matthew's account. Now, Matthew 28 verse 1 contains a phrase that has been debated for quite some time now. For one thing, one Greek word which is used twice in the verse with the same exact spelling is translated in two different ways, which is very suspect on the surface. The word I'm referring to is Sabaton, which is written like this in, or Sabatoon rather, based on the pronunciation. So it's written in two places like this in Matthew 28 verses 1. Now this word cannot be translated two different ways. And the translators respected this in many other areas where the same Greek word was used twice in the same passage. But in Matthew 28 verses 1, Sabbatoon is translated as both Shabbat and week. But the Greek word used to actually refer to a Shabbat is not usually Sabbatoon but Sabbatu, which looks like this. And when I say looks like this, you'd have to actually go to... <laughs> The document that I'm reading from is actually posted on the site because a lot of what I'm going to read right now, I'm only going to read the the translation of um, this Greek breakdown, but to see everything word for word with the Greek translation and um, the Strong's numbers, you can read this on the website for Yah's seven appointed festivals. But getting back to Matthew 28 verse 1, I'll break it down word for word from the Greek text and transliteration, which the associated meetings and Strong's numbers listed as well. Okay, so I'm just reading the English transliteration here. It says, A long time after and now, which... Is opsin day in sabatun in t, which means the end. I can't translate that word. It's to, but it means to dawn. And jis, which means into main, which means one, and in sabatun again, which is translated as week. And elthin came. Elthin means came. Miriam, which is Mary. And the, and then. Magdalene, woman of Magdala, and the other Mary, look at the sepulchre. So to paraphrase all of those uh, different fragmented parts, what this sentence actually says is, and now a long time after, one week having dawned into a new week, came Mary, the woman of Magdala, and the other Mary, to look at the sepulchre. Note, 
that it starts with a long time after. But a long time after what exactly? The very last verse of the previous chapter of Matthew gives us the answer. It says, And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. That's according to Matthew 27, verse 66. So this event did not take place right after Yahushua's grave was sealed and guarded. The understanding gained from the original text informs us that an entire week had passed before the two Marys made their way to the tomb. But why an entire week? Well, two things are fulfilled by this event. The first instance is associated with a law that concerns defilement during the Feast of Passover in Numbers 9 verses 4 to 11. It says, This was Yah's reply to Moses. Give the following instructions to the people of Yasharel. If any of the people now or in the future generations or ser are ceremonial unclean, ceremonially unclean at Passover time because of touching a dead body or if they are on a journey and cannot be present at the ceremony they may still celebrate Yah's Passover they must offer the Passover sacrifice one month later at twilight on the 14th day of the second month so Coming into contact with a dead body would prevent Yasharites from partaking of the Passover feast and unleavened bread, forcing them to observe those days a month later. But a simpler expression of this type of law is mentioned in Numbers 19. The one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. So on the preparation day that Yahushua was killed, with the Passover looming the next day and seven days of unleavened bread directly following, those who visited the tomb could not risk coming into contact with a dead body and therefore defile themselves for the duration of the feast, which had yet to commence. Secondly, wave sheaf for Yahushua falls on the first day of the week, not Gregorian, not the Gregorian first day of the week. So it falls on the first day of the week, directly following the seventh and final day of the unleavened bread. This came a little over a week following the seventh, the events of the preparation day staking. Yahushua. However, this does not disturb our wave sheaf on the 16th of Aviv, since its celebration is just a mere symbol of the prophecy. So, following his resurrection, Yahushua bided his time on earth in some way. And on the first day of the following week, he ascended to the Father as the wave chief and the high priest, fulfilling two important roles in the highest spiritual sense. Now, some might argue, but Yahushua didn't die on the actual Passover. That means he didn't fulfill Passover. Well, you'll see that he did in fact fulfill Passover in the highest spiritual sense. Being as Revelation 13 verses 8 terms it, the lamb that had been slaughtered since the foundation of the world. And John 19 verses 14 expresses the truth that Yahushua's Passover meal 
as well as his death, happened on the preparation day which preceded the Passover. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Because the Passover falls at the beginning of the 14th, the preparation day would be before that, so Yahushua had to be buried on the 13th before it started. On the 16th day of Abib, after the 7th day Shabbat at the end of Shag Hamazat, is the wave sheaf offering ceremony where we thank Elohim for his blessings of the first harvest of the year. In Yasharel, the very first harvest is usually of the plants that were planted last year. So before all of these are harvested, a portion is given to the priest and to wave in the thanksgiving to the Adon. Leviticus 23 verses 10 to 11 and 14 speak unto, that says, Speak unto the children of Yasharel and say unto them, when ye become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before Yahuwah to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Shabbat. The priest shall wave it, and ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your Elohim. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And we see this confirmed in Joshua 5 verse 10 to 11. It says, And the children of Yeshurun encamped in Gilgal, and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at the evening in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land, and on the marrow after the Passover unleavened cakes, and parched corn in the self same day. We must always remember to give thanks for all of our blessings, both old and new. And in doing this, we also ask Yahuwah to bless our incoming produce for this new year. Of all the feasts, unleavened bread is one that represents a self-denial on the part of the believer. It is not an easy thing in the modern world to get all leavening agents out of the house and the diet. Unleavened bread and bitter herbs <laughs> for seven days. While none are saved by their works, yet obedience to the divine law requires self-denial. The self-denial required during the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a constant reminder of the self-sacrificing efforts that all must make who would deny self, take up their own stakes, and follow the Savior daily. As the first of the yearly religious assemblies, the heart-searching and courage during Feast of Unleavened Bread is a necessary preparation for the next feast, Pentecost. For those who are prepared for tra translation to the new Yerushalayim, the yearly feasts are a time of contemplation, recommitment, and thanksgiving for a blessings bestowed. Now, the guidelines for this feast goes as follows. 
No leavened bread should be found in your habitations or in all your coasts. Well, since we don't live by ourselves anymore, it will be found in our coasts, but it won't be found in our houses. And that's according to Exodus 12 verses 15. Next point, sanctify yourselves before entering the feast. That's according to 2 Chronicles 30 verses 15 to 17. This we usually do by... Um, this is what I do personally but I usually fast before taking the supper so I fast uh, uh, we break it with um, eating dinner and then after we eat dinner at evening at the going down of the sun we you know take supper so that's that's how we sanctify ourselves there Next point, eat unleavened bread with bitter herbs. That's according to Exodus 12 verse 8. And as I said, this is a suggestion. Next point, if you do not come up to the feast, you will be cut off from Elohim's people. That's according to Numbers 9 verses 13 to 14. Next point, feast should be kept seven days with the first and last day being a holy convocation. That's according to Leviticus 23 verses 6 to 8. Next point, no work should be done on the first and last day except cooking. Exodus 12 verses 16. Now other related verses. We have here Exodus 12 verses 15 to 20, Exodus 23 verses 15, Exodus 34 verses 18, Leviticus 23 verses 6 to 14, Numbers 33 verses 3, Deuteronomy 16 verses 3 to 4 and 8, Deuteronomy 16 verses 16 to 17. 2 Chronicles 30 verses 13 and 18 to 23, Ezra 6 verses 21 to 22, Ezekiel 45 verses 21, St. Matthew 26 verses 17, St. Luke 22 verses 1, St. John 2 verse 23, St. John 13 verses 1, St. John 18, verse 28, and 1 Corinthians 5, verses 8. Thank you again for listening, and until next time. To check out more or to contact me, you can reach me on Telegram at Kodashim Royale, or on Wattpad at Kaleidoscope the Pen, or on WordPress at Little Kaleidoscope Girl. You can also check me out on my website, Let's Talk Truth with Thank you and be blessed.